0: Hi, welcome to Push Dose Medic, where we focus on core concepts for the beginner paramedic. I'm your host, Jaron Gerald. This podcast was created to build a bridge between the knowledge gained in the classroom and the clinical setting. So thanks for listening, sit back, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Push Dose Medic podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope everyone has had a great holiday season. I'm excited about 2019. I hope to bring you guys some great content, along with a few special guests, and maybe some new segments. Today, I want to talk about something important for this time of year. Tis the season for pediatric airway emergencies. RSV is among us and the little ones. So we'll be talking about these emergencies from a pre-hospital standpoint. Unfortunately, my wife could not make it on the show. She's actually a pediatric intensive care nurse at Mission Children's, and she would have a lot of input on how these children present in the hospital standpoint and how they're treated from the time we drop them off to the ER uh, until discharge. So if you have any questions about further care in the hospital or anything else, please email me, and we may be able to publish a small episode with some Q&A on this subject. All right, let's get into it. So, we're going to be talking about pediatrics, uh something that when I started out I was not comfortable with at all. I didn't know what I was doing and I was always told to treat them like little adults. Well, they're not little adults. It it's their own category. There's a reason why we use Broselow tapes, the hand-heavy method, apps called PediMate, PediSure, And other helpful tools. So we want to be able to quickly identify and know the differences between an adult and a pediatric, knowing that the pediatric has a larger head in proportion to its body, a larger tongue, and a different airway shape. Obviously all of these differences can cause increased obstruction issues and furthermore cause airway issues that a normal adult can usually handle. So an extremely important tool that we can use as providers is the pediatric assessment triangle. That's going to include your appearance, work of breathing, and circulation. So notice what the child looks like. How interactive is it? Is it following with, your, with his eyes? Notice the work of breathing, abnormal breath sounds, abnormal posturing, or maybe even retractions. And finally, look at the skin. Are they cyanotic, mottled, or just pale? All of these things can help you make a quick assessment on how sick your child is. So there's really no need to dig back into developmental psychology, but knowing how a child should act at certain ages is going to be a huge gain in your assessment. Management of these patients is obviously going to be more difficult just due to they're not able to tell you their Chief complaint. They're not able to tell you if they have any medical problems. You simply have to rely on the parents and know what kind of questions to ask to see if that patient is in actual distress or just scared. Management of these patients is extremely important due to their ability to compensate. They may be extremely sick, but also be running around, playing, and laughing at the same time. It's very important to keep a close eye on these patients and closely monitor them. Just don't blow them off because they're crying, playing, and you think the mom is just over pretentious. And remember that hypoxia and hypothermia are extremely important in pediatrics. Uh, hypoxia is one of the number one reasons why children go into arrest, so it's extremely important to monitor these patients and do a great assessment. So let's get into our first emergency, and that's going to be croup and I think I can pronounce it right, laryngotracheobronchitis. It's basically an upper respiratory infection that can start out subtle, such as a common cold, and progress towards a more severe infection. You will mainly see this in children that are from 1 to about 4 years old. It's a very slow-onset infection, and it may or may not present with a fever. Your most common characteristic that you're going to identify this by is that seal bark and I'll put a link in the description of a child with that so you can kind of get get your ears trained to hear that so it's a very unusual and unique sound so once you hear it a few times you should be able to pick up on it the next time you encounter that child with that type of cough and this is caused by the narrowing of the airway the upper airway So you may hear stridor, but you're mainly going to hear that seal bark. And if you know anything about chest x-rays, this is a good way of how to diagnose this, that you'll actually see the trachea make a steeple. So what we learned in school was you can remember croup by CVS. Croup is viral, and it makes a steeple sign on your chest x-ray. So if you remember that a child's airway is actually conical shaped, so you can imagine if it's already kind of at a low angled steeple, that any kind of inflammation causing the airway to get smaller is going to obviously cause respiratory distress. Uh, usually an adult can handle this, but with a child with a smaller airway, it's going to be a lot more severe. And like I said, I'll put a link in the description so you can actually hear that that child make that seal bark and that weird sound. And that's what I want to get through on this whole episode is just knowing the signs and symptoms, and then quickly identifying which emergency it is, because they're all treated just a tad bit different. So what do we do about a child with croup? Well, the number one thing we want to do in all these is keep the child calm. We know that through most ages, any of us walking up to a child, unless they're deathly sick, they're going to be scared, anxious, and irritated, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to further irritate an airway. So if the child does let us assess them, what you want to do is just supplemental support. Uh, Use humidified, cooled oxygen if you can, and possibly do a NEB treatment. Now I know a lot of you guys pre-hospital will not have racemic epi. Um, All we carry is regular epi, 1 to 10,000 and 1 to 1,000. So if you do have racemic epi, that's what we want to use on these children, Um, If you don't, you can use 1 to 1,000. Studies show that it equally works the same, and I'll post a link to uh, EM. He actually does a really good comparison on epi 1 to 1,000 and racemic epi. And they basically just work off different epi isomers, Um, and they actually say that epi 1 to 1,000 at higher doses works just as good as racemic epi in these cases. And we're going to be administering the epi basically just to reduce the airway edema, cause that vasoconstriction to kind of open it up just a little bit. Now, you don't want to use any albuterol or bronchodilators because we're not at that level of the lungs. Remember, this is an upper airway issue just below the glottis. So further on, we'll compare this to epiglottitis, but it's below the glottis, so the patient will not be irritated. They'll be able to feed drink, they won't be drooling, Um, they won't have any irritation because they won't really feel it. So stay away from the albuterol, um, supplemental oxygen, and racemic epi or nebulized epi depending on what you have. And another reason why we don't want to use albuterol in this case is it can further the agitation and kind of make the patient cough. And remember we want to decrease airway agitation as much as we can. So humidified oxygen, fix the hypoxia, and monitor the patient. So the signs and symptoms kind of compare to a cold. Uh, They're going to have a runny nose, maybe a cough, a raspy voice. Um, Remember that seal bark. They may be playful. They may not seem as sick as they really are. Um, So this is when the constant monitoring comes in. Let them be with their parents. Let them go play if they want, but keep them monitored and don't agitate them. Always keep in mind that these children may look fine, but they may actually be really sick. Okay, and next up we have epiglottitis. This is a very serious airway issue, and you want to make sure you can identify this quickly and get the child to definitive treatment in a specialized hospital if possible. So epiglottitis is a little bit misleading. It's not just the inflammation of the epiglottis, but also the subglottic structures and the structures around the epiglottis. So you basically have this massive inflamed area in the child's throat, which is extremely important to identify and treat as soon as possible. So epiglottitis will actually have a much faster onset and the child will be very sick. Compared to croup, which has a slow onset and may not present that sick, you can kind of see how much more serious this airway issue is. So as croup is not exactly a life-threatening issue, epiglottitis actually is. Um, Due to the epiglottis and the subglottic structures becoming so inflamed and irritated, it'll compromise the airway as that's the only passage we have into the trachea. These children are usually going to be between 2 to 8 years old. I've seen some data that says 2 to 10. But these children will present extremely sick. In abnormal postures such as COPDers in the sniffing position, tripod position, uh, their work of breathing will be really poor. You might even see severe retractions. Um, They're going to avoid coughing and swallowing just due to that severe pain they're going to have in their throat. During your assessment and questioning, you might get the answers that the child is not feeding, is not drinking, and that's simply due to the child trying to limit that irritation to their own airway. Um, these children don't even know exactly what's going on, but they're taking productive measures not to further irritate their own airway. And that's going to be our number one goal as well, is not to irritate that airway. We don't want to inspect, we want to know the signs and symptoms, and we want to leave it alone. So like we stated with croup on a chest x-ray you'll see that that steeple sign. With epiglottitis you'll be able to see that epiglottis be inflamed and all those structures around it. So the good little mnemonic for this one is EBT. Epiglottitis is a bacterial infection that causes inflammation and you'll see a thumb sign. So epiglottitis, bacteria, thumb sign. So these children are going to be extremely sick so you're definitely going to see a spike in a fever Um, very irritable you might even look for the four d's uh, drooling dyspnea dysphagia and dysphonia Uh, dysphonia was kind of a new one for me and that's just difficulty difficulty speaking due to the inflammation irritation that they have Um, we're going to treat these patients with supplemental o2 if we can but more importantly do not agitate the patients. Do not try to open the mouth and see for yourself. Um, these children need to go to the appropriate care facility and be treated by a specialist in a control setting, not in the back of our trucks. So the most important takeaway from epiglottitis is basically your signs and symptoms, knowing that the patient is avoiding coughing, almost avoiding breathing, uh, knowing it's in pain, abnormal posturing, uh, irritability, drooling, and taking this patient to a definitive care facility, uh, making sure you don't agitate the patient anymore, and adding supplemental O2 if possible. And again, I'll have a picture of a chest x-ray and a child with epiglottitis just so you can kind of see what they look like. Um, the better you are at noticing and assessing these patients, the easier it will come in time when you actually come in contact with one of these sick patients. All right, let's get down to our meat and potatoes on this. And that's RSV, respiratory synctil, I think I'm saying that right, synctitial virus. Um, I'm not good with those words. So this is basically the root cause of a lot of airway issues um, that children are admitted for into the PICU or just on the general children's floor. This is going to be a virus that causes a lot of upper respiratory infections, and it's a leading cause with lower respiratory infections. And the most serious one that children are admitted for is bronchiolitis. And that's not bronchitis, that's bronchiolitis. It has a little bit of different meaning to it. So this is going to happen in your your smaller babies, your infants up to about two years old. I've seen some data where it goes up to about four to five. Um, your more at-risk patients are gonna be. Your premature babies, your ones that are going to be immune compromised, congenital heart babies, uh, anyone that really didn't have good lung function at birth. So initially, these patients may not be they be that sick um, due to their ability to compensate, but they will become very sick as the disease or the virus spreads and gets more progressive. So what you're going to see in this, so. Let's back up just a little bit. Bronchiolitis is basically just the constriction and increased mucus production of the lower airway, the bronchioles. So with that, you're going to have a lot of congestion due to the mucus production. Um, You're going to hear some decreased breath sounds, maybe some bronchi and a little bit of wheezing in the upper airway. Due to all these airway issues, you're going to have a lot of inflammation and the increased mucus production is going to have an increased resistance on the airflow. So the patient is not going to be able to take those full in and out breaths. You're going to have a lot of air trapping. Um, you're going to have a lot of secretions as well. So some simple si- uh, signs and symptoms for this one is going to be poor feeding. The, the patient's not going to be able to bottle feed if it can't breathe Um, Like I said, the increased mucus production is not going to allow that patient to breathe out of his or her nose as they're bottle feeding. Um, Shortness of breath, grunting, um, there may be stridor mixed in with that, and just obvious distress. And of course, look at your skin color on these patients. Know at what realm you're in. Are they simply pale, mottled, or are you in full-blown cyanosis? So with these patients and, and all respiratory patients in our pediatrics, our hypoxia is going to be our main issue. Um, so we want to fix that hypoxia and we want to support them. With supplemental O2, um, due to the mucus production, suctioning, um, just basic nasal and oral suctioning and deep suction is not recommended. Uh, albuterol is not recommended in this. Remember, it's not solely a constriction issue it's a constriction issue doubled with the mucus issue so with these patients and all of our pediatric airway patients we're going to focus on respiratory support blow by supplemental oxygen and the decrease of agitation Um, with these patients you want to take them to a pediatric hospital you want to take them to somewhere that has a specialist Now, don't bypass your policies, procedures, and protocols. Take them to whatever hospital you have to. Um, But if you have a choice and you can get away with it, I would take them to a specialized center. These children are going to need more than just what your basic ER can do. They're going to need a specialist and possibly a PICU if the symptoms are more severe. So the important takeaway of this whole lecture is to identify the pediatric airway issues and to take a correct action for a positive result and not a negative result. Treat the pediatric airway emergencies with knowledge and differential diagnosis. Know your signs and symptoms in your patho so you can correctly treat your patient. Know the difference between croup and epiglottitis knowing that RSV is simply just a virus that can cause a multitude of respiratory emergencies. Quickly and correctly identifying will certainly be a better outcome for you and your patient. You'll be more positive in your clinical studies, you'll be more confident, and you'll be able to treat your patient the best that they should be treated. And just remember to really focus on your assessment. These kids are really good at compensating, so they'll go up and then all of a sudden they'll crash. Know you that increase altered mental status, hypercapnia, and cyanosis are all signs of impending respiratory arrest. Make sure you have that pediatric assessment triangle memorized, and make sure you assess every pediatric, no matter what the signs and symptoms are, because the more you get comfortable with these little guys, the more confident you're going to be next time. And like I said, if you have any further questions about how these children are treated within the hospital and just more information on these kids, please let me know. I'll try to reach out to my wife to get more information and we might even do another episode on this. But for now, I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.